Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Jim Peterson, and welcome to Coffee Talk. Hello, and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and we've got another episode of Coffee Talk for you. This week, we're joined by guitar professor Jim Peterson. Professor Peterson is himself an alum of Berklee College of Music and has been teaching in the guitar department for over 20 years. Jim is an unbelievable funk and R&B guitarist who's played with Bob Moses, Lala Hathaway, and many others. He's released many albums with his band Groove Junkies and also the three-time Boston Music Award winners Eye to Eye. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our interview with Jim Peterson. Hi, everyone. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department at Berklee College of Music, and welcome to another Coffee Talk. As usually usual, we are joined by Assistant Chair Cheryl Bailey. Hey, Cheryl, good morning. Coffee cheers with my Berkeley Guitar Department mug. It is the mug that is on the front of the show, the actual one. Wow, that's the original. It's the original. And you're in your Berkeley Guitar Department office. Oh, yep. Mm -hmm. With the ghost. Yes, with the ghosts. Ghost. All right, we want to hear more about the ghost in a minute. Uh, we're also joined by Ian Steed, our senior coordinator. Hey, Ian. Hey, folks. And our guest today is Professor James Peterson. Jim Peterson, welcome to Coffee Talk. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. We're really thrilled to have you. Uh, Cheryl, before we jump in with Jim, what about the ghost? Uh, because a, a few of us have, have thought there perhaps was a ghost. Well, I started to get more convinced when Ben, who's very level-headed, said that he might have seen something. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Last night I was here about 6.30, and there's a, just an administrative office up above. And I do, I come here and I, I practice sometimes and sometimes there's strange sounds and I'm thinking, man, I don't know. But last night, I mean, no one's around and I heard stomping upstairs around 6.30. So who would be in that office stomping? I, maybe a ghost, maybe. It's possible, maybe a ghost. I mean, what's great about the guitar office is it, it has resumed its role as like a practice hang. So there's always somebody in there playing but it is a little weird when you're by yourself. Maybe there's past, faculty members past, hanging around the office. Oof. Did they give you any tips, Cheryl? Did you feel like more inspired after the stomping? No, I just was just very curious. <laughs> okay, so a good vibe, a good friendly ghost. Um, so Jim, um, what are you drinking? Are you drinking coffee this morning? Yes, I'm drinking uh, my Starbucks straight ahead, you know, keep it simple, blonde roast, a uh, little bit of brown sugar, a little bit of cream. Unfortunately, my uh, my Berkeley uh, coffee mug is no longer with us. Uh, it met a sad end. Someone was moving some things in my house and, and it sort of fell off one of the shelves. So it, it is no longer with us. But um, I have, um, you know, my trusty uh, 
mug here that I just use and uh, it seems to do fine. That's great. Um, I like brown sugar. I do. Oh yeah. I use brown sugar. Uh, brown sugar is a very, very, very versatile uh, thing to use. Um, it's great for uh, pan searing things. Uh, if you're making, um, uh, like if I'm cooking fish, uh, salmon in particular, uh, or if I'm doing something on the grill, I like to sort of melt it down till it's just like, um, gets kind of syrupy and then you use it as a glaze and it's just awesome. So. Jim, is that to, on a low heat? tip of the day. Yeah. A on a low heat, you just kind of get it to caramelize. Yes, absolutely. On a low heat. You definitely don't want to have it, uh, cranking, um, but yeah, you get it to caramelize and then, um, after, uh, depending on what other seasonings you're using, I, I also love to use lemon pepper. Uh, we're going to be doing, uh, some swordfish, uh, over the holiday. That's going to be great. Uh, I think we got some, some, I think there's some tuna, some tuna fillets over there too, that we're going to be doing. Um, so yeah, um, if you're doing it in a pan, yeah, get, definitely get it to caramelize on the underside, uh, low heat, and just let it sit there after it's nice and well in seasoning, and it just it just works great. Love it. I will be by for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> You're welcome. Come, please. You know, we got on. Well, I mean, you know, um, cooking, uh, I don't know if everybody knows this. I think, Kim, you know, but I mean, cooking has been a hobby of mine for, oh God, I mean, forever. Uh, there's a lot of um, music, cooking and music analogies, uh, things that go parallel, you know, conceptually. Um, maybe that's because I'm into R&B music and a lot of times uh, with funk grooves, you know, you just got to let the groove marinate, you know, you don't need to play anything. Like once you get it set, once you get it locked in, you don't got to play a whole lot of notes. The, the groove will will do it. it. It'll do that for you. And, um, yeah, so I like to call that just letting something marinate, you know, you, before you go back into the second verse or before you go into the bridge, you let the groove marinate for a little bit. That's just a fun term that I like to use. You know, I'm remembering, Jim, I don't know if the others know this, but you and I had this, like, daydream one time of doing concerts and pairing them with, with food. And this was when you were telling me about your mac and cheese situation. Oh, there yeah. A, there was a lobster version. And then mm -hmm. Jim had this idea, like, what if we decided what music would go great with some food? <laughs> I'll be the chef and I'll come and I'll cook for the faculty. And, you know, and it was always this great daydream. So it's true. I mean, this the food has really connected you with music in a lot of ways. Um, it really has. I mean... I can't, uh, a lot of the stuff that I used to cook, I, I just don't do it anymore because I'm older and I, you know, I can't, can't really eat the way that I, you know, would like to, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, cause I, you know, you want to be healthier. So I cut back on a lot of the, um, certain ingredient, you know, not as much salt on a lot of things and, uh, you know, not as much seasoning and things like that. Um, the mac and cheese. Yeah. I remember that conversation, Kim. Um, yeah, I think I did, um, I think one year for Thanksgiving, uh, myself, we had some friends over the house and I did a mac and cheese, a lobster mac and cheese with the big shells, the, not the, the, uh, the mini shells, the big shells and, um, Gruyere cheese, which is just fantastic. It's just so versatile, melts down great, um, real creamy, real smooth taste, Gruyere cheese, love that. 
And then I think there were some other cheeses in there, probably some Monterey Jack, some ch sharp cheddar, um, some chopped up uncured bacon, you know, lobster, probably some shrimp and, you know, a few green peppers here and there. And it was just, it was just, and then I took a pic, I think I, I took a picture of it and I put the recipe on my, my Facebook page, pretty sure. So yeah, I remember that conversation. I, I mean, there's a, there's a few of us in the uh, faculty who cook, so maybe I wouldn't be the only one. I'm sure there are others who have skills too. So mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, like that. Jim, when you cook, do you follow a recipe or is there a bit of a mix of sort of tra a tradition of a certain dish with improvisation? Yes. Um, there's, uh, it, it goes both, both ways, actually. Sometimes there is a recipe, there, which I, you know, tend to use as a structure, kind of like, um, you know, when you're playing over changes. Uh, you know, you have, this is the direction that the harmony is, is, is going to go based on the arrangement. But then, uh, yeah, there's definitely times where I'll take some liberty and just kind of go, you know, what if, um, what if I added this flavor or if I added that flavor? And it's a real, um, I love that comparison, Kim, to, to improvisation because I think it's, it's pretty closely related. If you know um, what kind of flavor, uh, how to use, um, for example, a basic thing that I teach with improvisation is uh, contrast. Um, you know, fast notes versus slow notes, um, uh, a louder note versus a softer note, an inside harmonic note versus an outside harmonic note, you know, just different kinds of contrast. And, and sometimes I go for that when, I, when I'm cooking, you know, whether it's um, some sweet versus sour, something crunchy versus something that's, that's soft. Um, if you've ever, I've, I don't cook this anymore, but the, um, I used to do a deep fried ice cream uh, where what you would basically do is you would take a, a caramel uh, patty, like what you'd put on a, on a, a candy apple, uh, and then you put that uh, in a skillet with a little bit of oil, and it cooks very quickly, um, but it, it also um, hardens pretty quickly too. So before it hardens, you want to wrap that around a frozen uh, scoop of ice cream. And then once you do that, you, you put it into a ball, you sprinkle whatever you want. And, and it's kind of, I'm not sure where I was going with that, but, um, oh yeah, contra <laughs> contrast, but just the, the contrast of how you can play an inside note over a certain chord and then an outside note, and then bring, bring it right back so that there's a sense of release when somebody is, is, is hearing you. And that also works really well because it keeps your, your playing interesting you know, and it, it keeps the dish interesting as well, too. So I, I think that's really interesting because so many times when we're having these conversations, it kind of comes up that after a while, um, the more and more you work on music, you're really working on yourself. And so the approach you have to music just starts to extend to everything you do in a creative way. And yeah. it's been fun because I think when we first just started asking everybody if they drank coffee, it was because of the name of the show. And now it gets into these really interesting places mm -hmm. where the way you are as a musician starts to become, you know, it's, it's really who you are Yeah. And, and the music is a vehicle and other things might be a vehicle as well. So that's really cool that that works in your life like that. You know, if I could add to, um, I, I, um, when I teach 
the first semester or second semester students or, or younger students in general, sometimes I have a different questionnaire that I use um, just to sort of, you know, figure out where things are at. But one of the questions on there is, are there any other hobbies or any other things that you have in your life, you know, other than music? You know, what other kinds of activities do you enjoy? Um, and I ask that question because, you know, there's there are so many parallels um, that uh, connect to other things that are so similar to music, you know, be it sports, uh, be it, um, you know, studying in another profession, medical, engineering, you know, um, one of the things that I think about is with sports, no matter what sport you play, um, cardio is going to be a big part of it, whether you're playing uh, basketball, soccer, football, you know, whatever. I mean, you're, you're going to need cardio. And I think the way that that connects to music is that there's certain things in music that, you know, before you get into a style, before you go into a certain direction, you have to make sure that you have the fundamental things in place so that when you take on that particular style that you're trying to get, you have the right tools in order to, to do it. You know, um, if you go out onto the field and you don't have good cardio, well, then it's it's not going to go well for you, <laughs> regardless of what sport you're playing. And it's the same thing with um, definitely with funk music. I mean, with being able to play in time, being able to uh, deal with different harmonies that are coming at you, the ear training side of it, your dexterity, um, your phrasing, all of those things, you sort of have to think about them. Uh, a little bit upfront, and I, I try to get um, a lot of my students to do that too. I think that's right. Um, my brother was a strength coach for his most of his career, and uh, worked with really high-level athletes, and <clears throat> they're just on such a regimen. You know, mm -hmm. sport it is. These are the muscle groups you have to work out, and I think because he always said to me, "Well, it's because they're big muscle groups, and they're playing contact sports, so you can't get around it in your mind." that you have to do it or not. But when right. you're in music, you can almost tell yourself, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter so much if I know that part of the fretboard or if I did my scales today. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, over time, it really does matter, not just for your performance, but also for the health of your hands. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, what goes hand in hand with that is you have to love it. Um, when you think about what some of these ath athletes go to, go through, um, you know, whether it's MMA or, or a lot of, a lot of things, it's, it's really brutal on your body. You have to, you know, you're kind of putting your body through a lot. Now, um, be that as it may, I think that one thing about music, uh, that I have found is there has to be a passion for it. You have to, on one level, you have to love doing it. And one of the things that I, have to talk through sometimes with students is when you know they're getting ready for a proficiency or something like that and it's like okay we're going to do uh, three octave you know uh, harmonic minor scales or whatever oh well I didn't have time to practice that this week and I'm kind of working on it and it's like you know I understand that you know you get busy but really you know the things that you love the things that you're passionate about you'll find time to do them. And I, for, for me, music has always been too quirky of a thing to not give myself 
over to fully. I, I have to do it. It's like if someone said to me, hey, man, you can just take a day off and just practice all day. I'd be like, yes, you know, because there's so much that I need to learn. There's so much that I need to get together. And it's not particularly fun doing it, but the end result is is definitely, you know, and you think about like, wow, you know, working your quads or whatever, you know, that doesn't feel good or doing abs or that doesn't always feel good, but the end result is is so, so worth it. And sometimes that end result is what you need to look at it to really get motivated, you know, to to, to push through, you know, those kinds of things. That reminds us of our conversation with Scott Taroli about the, the hedonist, the philosophy. People think that it means you know, you're just going to go and eat and drink, and I, but you're going to feel terrible later. But it's actually the opposite is you're going to put in the work for that mm -hmm. joy. So it's the bigger picture. It's actually the opposite of how we use the term. But that thing, you're not every day. I mean, you know, you've been playing those scales. We've been playing these scales all our life. I got to get up and practice today. It's not always mm -hmm. an exciting thing, but you put in it and you put your attention there because you know when you're going to play, and you want that facility, it feels so great. It's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're there, you know, like, wow, this is like, it's right there. You can do whatever you need to do. You don't have to worry about it. I, I think one of the, one of the points I was hoping to make today um, is how, how that, what you just said, Cheryl, how that uh, connects to preparation. And it's almost like, there's a chain of things that we we can do to keep ourselves in the right mind, mind space uh, to be effective musicians. And I, I, I teach this to all of my students, too, is that the first part of that is the, the strongest impression comes from the right expression. OK, and it it took me a while to learn that, but. You know, when you play from a, a, a place of expression uh, as opposed to impression, I'm not, I'm not here to impress anybody. Because if you allow yourself to be in that zone, the impression zone, then you're kind of setting yourself up for all kinds of things. You're like, well, what if they're not impressed? Or, oh no, what if I don't do well? And what if I, what if this goes wrong? What if that goes wrong? Because you're you're kind of thinking about, I got to make an impression. I got to, I got to do this. But I, I personally think that the truth is, is focusing on what you're expressing. Um, what do I need to express uh, musically uh, to be successful in this um, situation? It's kind of like, you know, a student comes in taking a test and they feel kind of nervous and it's like, wow, you're so nervous about the test. But what if I said, hey, man, tell me about your dog. You know, tell, tell me about your favorite movie. Tell me about your favorite hobby or whatever. All of a sudden, all of the angst just goes away. And it's like, oh, yeah, man, my dog is awesome. Or I saw this great movie the other day, and it was great. And, and, and you're not worried because you're expressing something that you are excited about. And when you do that as a musician, when you learn that, okay, I'm – I'm feeling something and I want to make my listeners feel what I feel. I want to make them feel excited or I want to move them emotionally 
or I want to make them feel like they want to run through a brick wall or I want to, I want to do whatever I got to do to bring them to this headspace of what I want to express. And that's something that I think the musicians that have longevity uh, are able to do. You know, um, they make you feel what, what they feel because as important as it is to, you know, to learn, I mean, I'm all about chops and theory and whatever as, as anybody else, but I also realize that, you know, people are going to come see me play because of how I make them feel. Now, if, however, I need to facilitate that, okay, that's, it might be a different discussion. Do I need to play something up or fiery or something like that? And, and I'm okay with that if that's how I am feeling. But if I can get them to the space where they're feeling what I want them to feel, um, or I can take them back to a certain place in their life, expressing all of that, I think, is where all of that begins. Um, and then the, the, the tag on that is it's not to say that, you know, we don't work on chops, we don't work on, you know, technical things. I mean, that's very, very, very important. But we just got to have our priorities uh, right because there's always going to be something that w raises the bar, uh, you know, technique-wise. But if you know that the one thing about great music that's iconic music is that it's it it always makes you feel a certain way, and and that's what I want to try to try to teach my students to do, and I want to be able to do that myself. So I love that, and I think um, what you're saying in that statement and the one before they feed each other right because if you are open to being expressive all of the technique and all the chops and all your fretboard knowledge all of that just feeds that it's so that you can try new things and they'll be there and if you don't have one it's right. really you have the other and then if you have that expressive value then you're always mm -hmm. curious you're always curious you're not getting in your own way by trying to right. help people um, right. We had a group of students, some of whom work in the office, and they made a pact to practice every day. And they made a list of the things that they usually avoid, like you were talking about, like their scales and their tri their triads, but also their intervals, like their dyads. And we watched them, Cheryl and I watched them, and Ian and I watched them do it every day, you know. And the mm -hmm. other day, one of them was in a class that I teach, and we were doing something totally different. We were doing scales with open strings. Mm -hmm. And she all of a sudden, you know, everyone was kind of trying to work it out, figure it out. And she just went to it and she could do it. And she was like, oh, my gosh. And I said, wow, you got that really fast. And she said, yeah, it's like, you know, I've been doing those scales every day. And now I know where everything is. Like, I just know where everything is. And I thought, mm -hmm. yeah, that's right. That's why you do it. It's not just so you're doing that thing and you're not just judging whether or not that is applicable it's helping you do all these other things you haven't even thought about yet. So I, I think that your openness to both aspects of playing is really important for people to hear. Mm. Yeah, music is a language. Um, and in the same way that we use nouns and verbs and, you know, consonants in the words that we use, um, you know, we, we had to learn all of that at some point, you know. Um, we had to learn the alphabet at some point and we there was a lot of repetition because now as we're older we don't think about like I, I certainly couldn't tell you how many 
nouns I've used in the past two sentences that I've said, or how many consonants or vowels were in each word. We don't think about those kinds of things, and the because the the formative time of us learning the language was so thorough, and I think that's really key to playing great guitar too, is that you have to get the the mechanics of the language down so well that when you're ready to express something, you you need only focus on what it is that you're communicating, you know, and it just it just flows. It just kind of it'll start to flow right out, just like as you're expressing whatever it is, just like you're talking, you know, so that's kind of huge. Jim, in the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned that you give your incoming students to private lessons a questionnaire. Can mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about what you do? Sure. Yeah, it's a questionnaire um, that sort of um, helps me assess, you know, where the best place to to start them as a student student is. Um, and it also helps them to focus um, on that questionnaire, um, there are a lot of, um, what's the best way to say it? There, there, my, I guess my goal is through asking questions, I want students to think that, I want them to realize that, you know, there's a, there's a new season uh, in your musical journey that's starting right now. And as you're starting up, there, there are certain things you need to think about. Like one of the questions is what, what best describes your goals uh, on guitar? Um, uh, a, I want to be the next Jimi Hendrix. B, I just want to jam with my friends and lay down some tracks. C, I only do it as a hobby and just to jam with people on the weekends. And D might be, I'm, I'm not exactly sure yet. And, you know, a question like that, um, is important because I think one of the things uh, we all have to do is learn how to set goals. There's, um, especially with music, um, there's a proverb that says, uh, he who aims at nothing will certainly not miss his target. And, you know, the music industry in general uh, can be pretty tough uh, to make a solid living in. Um, I mean, it can be done, but it's tough and it's changing all the time. And uh, with my questionnaire, uh, one of the um, groups of questions that I address is about setting goals. Um, what role is guitar going to have? Uh, think it through because things are changing uh, so quickly. Uh, I want uh, the incoming students to realize um, Take some time and, and just give some thought into what your goals are. So therefore, you can set your your short-term goals um, accordingly so that you can hit the goal that you want to ultimately be at. And another uh, question on there is, um, how much time per day will you commit to practicing uh, realistically? Um, and then I will allow them to say, you know, what what that may be. Um, and then uh, what I find is after a couple of weeks, students will come back and go, hey, you know, can we go over that questionnaire again? Because um, I think there's some things that uh, I might want to adjust. I mean, I, I want to do this. Um, I want to get to this point in my guitar playing, but I'm only willing to practice an hour and a half every day. 
And then they start to realize that, oh, wow, you mean, okay, so in order to to be a session man or, or to do whatever it is that they're trying to do, it's going to require um, more than than what they might have realized. And then we will talk that through and, you know, I'll help them with a practice plan or something like that. So that's just to give structure um, to help them set goals um, and really prepare for what's coming down the pike. I mean, it amazes me how much the the music industry has changed just over the past 10 years. You know, um, how long has YouTube been around? What, since, what, 04, I want to think, 2004? You know, so that's about 16, 17 years ago. Um, you know, the whole thing with the streaming services, different things like that. Um, and then the other kind of technology that is already on the horizon, uh, it's kind of, it's pretty easy to think that the way music is consumed now uh, might not be the same five years from now. And it's important to plan accordingly. So that's the whole, in a nutshell, I, I hope that answers the question. I don't know if that's clear enough to Yes, it definitely answers the question. And Cheryl, you love the proverb so much. I'm going to throw it over to you for a second. To... Well, well, there's a lot of things. In I've been trying to keep track, Jim, because you're just blowing me away here with all, like, just really words of wisdom on many levels. But it's interesting because um, actually yesterday I teach a harmony class for performance majors, and this it was the segment of the semester where we talk about practice techniques and and so you know i go around everybody and go you know what did you practice today did you warm up or what do you do and these are all high level students and very responsible students and we had just a great conversation about how you use your time and you know you know that like just even in school it's a great place to learn that how to make a practice schedule and get things done because it doesn't get any easier actually when you're out there playing professionally right you got to travel you need to have music prepared you mean maybe need to write music all these things and and i mean i just feel that even talking about the sports analogy or you know you see a great athlete or you see just anybody a great public figure or just a great parent or community person you're looking at somebody who knows how to use their time and, you know, one guy said to me one time, he was said, well, the year's going to go by. And so I might as well start working on my reading because the year's going to go by. And if the year goes by and I didn't get anything done, you know, who it all comes into, you know, all, there's actually another kind of Buddhist phrase, all blames go into one. You know what I mean? Like you have mm -hmm. to take responsibility for that. Like, well, the year went by and I didn't crack open a reading book, you know, something right. to read or find a teacher to help me study that. Right. And so am I going to let another year go by? You know, like just learning how to be responsible for your time, but mm. then also the effectiveness of how much you can actually get done when you do that. It's amazing. Yeah. If it's like, I have, you know, you look at your, I only have 45 minutes today to really practice because I got to do all these other things. It's amazing what you can do in 45 minutes if you're organized about it. And then the days when you have, you know, four hours or something, okay, great. You're gonna expand that, but you've gotta be, you've gotta be in control of it or it will control you, right? Mm-hmm. Boy, is that the truth? Um, 
if I, I would like to share a story kind of connected to what you just said, Cheryl, is that um, one of the, um, and, and this is something that I, uh, maybe I learned later, I kind of knew it, but this is the first time that it uh, actually came to fruition. Uh, when I was going to Berkeley and I, I, I mentioned I had an issue with my eyes, but, you know, learning how to read, uh, it just took me a long time learning how to how to read music, how to do it well and, and be a functional reader. And I lived um, out West for a little while and I was in a lot of situations where sometimes there would be a chart, sometimes there wouldn't be. Uh, so I, I got to a place where I just didn't think about it that much. It was like, well, if I, if I have to read, I'll, I'll read. If I don't, I, I don't. Um, but a couple of years ago, um, I was playing at the Gardner Museum um, with a pretty famous jazz, I mean, I don't particularly like to name drop, but um, she's a great singer. She plays upright bass and um, went to Berkeley uh, as well. And she's just fantastic. And I believe she's teaching at Harvard right now. It was Esperanza Spalding. Just, I, I, I guess it's okay to say that. But it was, it was a thrill to be on that gig. And um, it's funny. Um, so we do the sound check. I'm playing acoustic guitar, and I'm, I I did this at at one point. We're in the sound check, and I just kind of went. You know, just kind of messing around, just checking the sound. And that's a Stevie Wonder tune called Overjoyed. And Esperanza does a brilliant arrangement of that song and she's like oh yeah i know that song only she doesn't do it in the key of e <laughs> she did it in like e flat you know and or I, I think it was e flat or f or i don't know uh, a key that i wasn't really familiar with i mean i'm familiar with those keys but that song happens to take a lot of left turns and the voicings are kind of kind of interesting and then someone said, I, I, I don't know who said it, but someone goes, wow, you guys should just do that acoustic guitar and voice. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is not um, this is not good. Um, so 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 we run through it. And oh, boy, I know that's chords. You, you know, if you've, if you've ever run through something and you're like, I know this is the wrong chord, but I just I'm not sure what to play. And you just try to make it work. And and it clearly wasn't working. And she was so sweet. She didn't want to say it's like, wait, is that the right chord there? Wait, that might be a beef. And it's like, okay, I get it. And um, my friend Simone was there um, at the museum. And he was like, hey, bro, I got you, man. And he went, found a chart uh, of Overjoyed somewhere online, found the chart, did something in Finale and transposed it and just gave it to him. He's like, hey, man, I got you, <laughs> you know? And uh, he gave it to me. I went back and, um, you know, I mean, like the it was piano voicing. So it was kind of like, OK, it, it wouldn't be like um, uh, G. It wouldn't be like E major seven. It would be like, I don't know, like F sharp or G sharp minor over E or some kind of weird thing, you know, like that. But anyway, I, I was able to make sense of it, you know, looked at it a couple of times and uh, just brought it out on stage with me and put the music stand like right, right down next to me so nobody could see it except for me. And just basically read it, you know, read through the tune and it went fine. But the lesson that that taught me was 
you never know. You never know when you're going to be in a situation where you're going to need to read something or where you're going to need to play something in a weird position because it was written by a violin player or a horn player and you got to play this lick and it's not going to fit with the typical scale guitar scale fingerings and you just got to make it work. And I think, uh, I mean, that might be the long way around the block, Cheryl, but um, I say all of that is because the whole thing with practicing, if, if, you want to be, we all want to be as good as we possibly can. We want to be able to function in any situation. And what that basically means is training yourself to be able to do multi, you know, multi things, you know, arpeggios, reading, fretboard geography, whatever it is, all of that stuff, fitting that in your practice and, and loving it and being excited about it, being like, yeah, you know, I'm, I get to work on my reading, man, this is awesome. You know, I mean, I'm going to be able to walk into a situation and, and be able to, uh, you know, read if I have to, or be able to, to play this or play that. And hopefully that's a motivation because that's what's required when you, when you get to that next level. So I just wanted to throw that out there kind of on the tail of what you shared. No, I think, I think that's great because that's the thing. We don't know what is going to, you know, you set out with an intention. Oh, I'm just going to do this. And then your career throws all kinds of left turns at you. And, mm -hmm. and and when you love music and playing the guitar, it's all joyous, right? Right, right. It's not it's not arduous. It's not like, oh, I gotta work on this again. Oh. You know, I mean, I'm sure, you know, you don't see Tom Brady or somebody like that going, man, I gotta go stretch again. I gotta go do workouts. I gotta drink another cucumber protein shake again. I mean, it's obviously what the guy likes and, you know, it keeps him at a functioning at a high level. And that's, you know, you, like I said before, I mean, I think music is, if you don't give yourself over to it fully, it's, it's like the person who just kind of walks away from you because, you know, you're not willing to, to, to do what they need you to do in order to, to keep the relationship strong. And um, that's kind of, that. that's, I, I just feel like that's personally important, so. Also, Jim and Cheryl, it, this seems to be the answer to the question that Jim alluded to earlier. How do you prepare for a musical landscape that changes and changes professionally? In some ways, really preparing yourself to be adaptable and to be strong in your skill set um, and to be ready for what might come, that's what helps you become ready for the changes that may come. Is that how you think of it? Uh, for me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think, of, I think of it as, um, keeping, keeping your hand on the pulse of where things are going and, and, and where things have come from. I, you know, a lot of people talk about uh, these, you know, competition shows, you know, um, The Voice or something like that, whatever. And I don't watch them, but something struck me the other day. I was scrolling through the channels and I saw a show where it wasn't even live people singing. It was like you make this cartoon version of yourself 
and then you go out and you have that character sing the song, but it's somebody's voice somewhere backstage. And it's just, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, look at what, look at what we're dealing with here. Um, we're, we're, we're at the point where we're not even, the, the technology is changing so fast. Now, I don't know if that's, I don't know if it's going to be a hit show or, or whatever, but, you know, you have to think, how is that going to impact, say, something like live performance? Um, with the hologram technology, things like, you see that with Peloton and with a lot, you know, the mirror and all of these workout things where, um, you know, it's it's not a person training you. It's just a, a pre-recorded image of some kind. I'm not sure how they do it, but, you know, will that have uh, an impact on live performance? Uh, and if it does, is that something that I, as a young musician, can cap can capitalize on? You know, can I put a band together and do that instead of, um, you know, paying all the money to keep a, an actual live band out on the road. I mean, I don't know if that's physically possible. I'm just throwing this out as like, you know, as a, as a possible scenario. But, you know, just kind of looking at <clears throat> what's going on and what that could potentially lead to and really keeping an ear to the ground, really being uh, using your imagination. I think getting a lot of advice. Uh, I think going to uh, conferences, going to, you know, things like the NAM conference, um, a lot of network. I think all of that is a great way to sort of get an idea on where things are going to be headed and where it might be a good idea to try to, you know, make an adjustment into, you know, it's funny, Cheryl, I know you went to Berkeley, right? And um, I, I know, I don't, I can't recall if we were there at the same time, but I know that when I was there, the big thing was practice like crazy and get a gig with somebody. Oh man, did you hear about so and so? He's he's out gigging with Chick now. Oh yeah, so and so got the gig with um, Weather Report. Oh, so and so got the gig with uh, my you know whatever. He's playing with her. Oh yeah, like, um, you know Johnny Blackwell, my friend. You know got the gig with Prince. I remember that. You know because we were hanging out together, and it was like, that was the thing. Now, well, that's not so much the thing anymore. I mean, it does. It still happens. Obviously, it still happens. But there's a lot more options out there of where people can wind up. And I only say that because when you look at how broad the industry has got from that point until now, uh, all the different directions that you know you can go in, um, I think it's more important than ever to, to try to keep an eye on where things are, are potentially going. So. Jim, what do you remember about your first days at Berkeley as a student or as a faculty member? What are some of the things that stick out to you still from that time? Um, as a student, uh, you know, gosh, I mean, I was a teenager, you know, and coming into a situation uh, that was pretty overwhelming, quite honestly, um, trying to just get up to speed with everything that was going on and wrap my mind around it. It was, it was pretty overwhelming and it, it took me a while to settle into, um, you know, the environment. Uh, I think in a way that that was good for me because it really pushed me to, you know, Hey, it's, it's time to start. It's, it's time to get it going. It's time to, it's time to get serious. Um, 
And I remember uh, you were talking about the 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 folks in the guitar office. Um, I also had a group like that as well. I mean, it was myself and you know a couple of other couple other guys, you know, um, and we were always pushing each other to learn this or learn that, or I can play this quicker, or you can play, you know, how do you play that? No, he didn't finger it that way. He uses his third finger. No, 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 no. It's, you know, we would just like basically geek out, I mean, to the max about like everything guitar. Um, and not only everything guitar, but, you know, it was like that with music theory. It was like that with ear training. And, um, and I think once I settled into this is the reason why I'm here. Uh, I think things kind of got um, a little bit more um, settled. And I, I, I started to feel a little bit more comfortable with the whole Berkeley thing. As a faculty member, um, it was, it, I wouldn't say it was overwhelming. It was just, um, it was a real uh, privilege to some of my colleagues, some of my teachers were now my colleagues, not a few of them. Um, but a few of the folks that I studied with as a student were still teaching um, at Berkeley when I came onto the faculty. So getting to know them as colleagues, I thought was um, really um, helpful. Uh, it was helpful kind of drawing from the knowledge of people who had been uh, teaching there for so long and seeing the working of Berkeley from the inside uh, as opposed to, you know, the outside, really learning um, that, you know, it's not the easiest thing in the world to, to be an effective teacher. Um, you really got to work for it. You really, really, really got to prepare and you got to be dedicated and you got to have the kind of character and patience. And I kind of did the best that I could to commit to having those things uh, and just kind of worked on it and just kind of really became an observer, you know, really became um, watching the the people that I thought were were really doing a great job. And there were so many um, people that I could name. I mean, you know, John Finn was there and uh, uh, Bruce Bartlett, my old guitar teacher, was, was teaching at that time. And uh, a lot of folks, you know, that I really, really looked up to and just kind of watching them work and be effective just helped me so much. Uh, and then once I settled into, um, you know, what my role was, I just tried to just dig in and, and work hard and, and do as much as I could to, to be as, as effective as I could. It's the long, long and short of it. <laughs> of course, there was also, there was also the performances too. There was, like, uh, because when when I got on faculty, I did a lot of recitals and things like that. Some of which are have wound up on YouTube, uh, to my dismay. But you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, little snippets of performances there. Um, but that was kind of interesting as well, um, because I really knew that it was important for people to get to know what I could do and and what I was trying to bring to the table. Uh, I thought that was important. So, um, you know, and then I just kind of learned along the way from there. I think a lot of students are wondering what that feels like to um, to start to work with your teacher mm -hmm. as a professional and kind of make that transition 
yeah. in some ways, like maybe you always feel like they're your teacher, but, you know, kind of continue that relationship in a different way. And is there anything specific you remember about that experience with Bruce Bartlett for you? Well, Bruce wasn't, um, when I first got to Boston, he was doing um, a gig at Riles with Baron Brown and a couple of other folk. Uh, sometimes he had a keyboard player, but mostly it was just him and his trio. So um, when I got with him, he wasn't really, he wasn't teaching at Berkeley at that time. Um, but when I came at faculty, lo and behold, he was, he was there. So it was like, oh, funny meeting you here. Um, but I think in answer to that question, it was just, um, you kind of, for me, I just kind of got to a place where it was like, you know, hey, I, I, I just need to be real about what's going on here. And uh, is it okay if I kind of watch you do your thing? Is it okay if I kind of ask you questions? Um, and most of the time, uh, you know, whoever I spoke to, whatever faculty member that I was, you know, had history with, or, you know, cause John Baboyan also, uh, comes to mind, you know, there was just help there knowing that there was help there and the relationship, uh, changes. Um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, as a student, I was just trying to do the best I can. Okay. Well now I'm your colleague. I'm going to continue to try to have that same kind of commitment and same kind of, you know, uh, desire to, to be as good as I can. And, um, I just kind of got to know folks on a, you know, different level. I mean, I didn't get to see Bruce a whole lot, but I mean, we did get to, um, before the pandemic, I mean, we would, you know, I would be able to go up to his office and we would jam and stuff like that, or, um, you know, just, just things like that, you know, bonding, getting to know each other, you know, the, the teacher student thing kind of, kind of, kind of dissipated after a while, I think. It's kind of the only way I could explain that. Cool, thanks. Hey, Ian, yeah. what's on your mind? Yeah, I mean, that's that's all really, like, fascinating. Just thinking about, um, you know, uh, I don't know. It's, it's really inspiring also to see, you know, the work ethic as a student that you talk about. And then continuing it on as a faculty member and also just like thinking about, I don't know. I mean, it's in a way it's like hearing you talk about it is like part of you is always in music school. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. yeah, oh, yeah. And even if, you know, I, I, you know, I would even like, it sounds like even if you were to have gone and done something else, if you weren't teaching, you know, if you were just playing, if you were doing something else, that a lot of that work ethic would really be continuous, right? Like you would still be on that same path um, hmm. hearing you talk about it that way. And also like, I really love, like, you know, it's, it can be a little verboten for some folks to make the, um, uh, the metaphor to like being an athlete because it sounds too competitive or it sounds too, I don't know, but I think it, it makes so much sense. And the way you were talking about, you know, uh, maintaining, um, the love for it. Uh, like th there's like this desire to practice, um, but also sort of like the feeling that you have to do it. It's just like the feeling of, I have to go work out. I have to go exercise. And if you put so much pressure on, like, I have to do this thing, like it, 
can get harder to do it right and the less you do it then it becomes even harder right but once you start to do it you know the the just do it like once you do it it's great it feels great you like you're doing it exactly just just. (laughs) okay Uh, i was thinking about that uh that slogan of a very uh famous corporation um for the folks at home and it turns out uh Professor Peterson has that written on his shirt. I could not see. <laughs> I, I, I mean, hopefully that's not, I'm not breaking any rules by having No, no, you're good. You're good. On my shirt. <laughs> so it just happened to work out that way. So, yeah. Um, you know, when you talk about work ethic, see, the other thing for me is that I, I felt, I honestly felt like, you know, what else can I do? You know, um, if I'm not going to Berkeley, I mean, am I going to wind up in a situation where I'm saying, hey, would you like fries with that? You know, I mean, I don't want to. It's 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 something where I really wanted. It's a direction where I really wanted to put myself. And I felt like if, you know, if, if I am to make this work, if I am to succeed, then I got to I got to work hard. And this is something that I feel like I'm good at. So, yeah, I can. I appreciate your saying that, Ian. Thanks. Yeah, and also the fact that it's not even just to succeed. It's like an intrinsic value in doing it, right? It's just Correct. Like, there's like so, – so there's like this, this um, sort of arc that happens when people go to music school, right? It's like we have this intrinsic sort of love for music, and it causes us to practice and play and to explore the instrument. And then when you really go to music school – all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is like an assignment. This is work. This is like this thing. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes what people say is like, you've made this thing that I love into like, you've taken say the joy out of it or something. Right. But then like, it's like, yes, it is now a responsibility and you have deadlines and you have expectations. Um, and it's like the the real thing is getting over that hump as well and getting to the third one where you sort of synthesize both of those worlds where you have that love, that intrinsic sort of desire to do that thing while yeah. also incorporating the knowledge that like you have expectations for yourself and you have a responsibility to yourself to really practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you nailed it. You, you just nailed it. That's that's all of it um right there you know we we do what we do because we love it and it it's not always fun but the the love that we have for it uh covers over the struggle of of you know getting getting out of bed and going into that practice room and um the rewards make it even that much more worthwhile yeah, and what's funny is that the harder harder it is in those moments where it's difficult, the more mm-hmm. rewarding the payoff. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. just like exercising, just like any of that stuff. Like that real struggle is like that is like the tension that gets you to the better, like the more rewarding thing at the end, in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and the, the, there's something too about um, uh, going back to the sports thing there's there is room for fun uh in there i mean you know we all know that if you've ever had a pickup game of ball you know somebody's going to be talking trash you know and it's not it doesn't mean anything it's just you know 
we're just having fun, you know. And I think sometimes with um, with music, it can be it's okay to sort of have that levity. Um, you know, I remember uh, uh, we were talking about uh, Kim. You asked me like what it was like when I went to Berkeley. You know, there were there were a few instructors that I had that you know they didn't mince words. They they their heart was in the right place. But they kind of had a levity of, you know, saying saying something, but sarcastically, but there was a lot of truth in it. Like, you know, hey, have you ever have you ever even seen a practice room? I mean, from the inside or, you know, or that that tone knob on your guitar, that's there for a reason. You know, <laughs> time's not just a magazine. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny, but we just kind of. We accept that because it's just levity. It's no different than when the coach says, hey, you know, what do you got? You got bricks in your shoes or something? Come on, you know, get it going. You know, just to give you that extra, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I think on, on some levels, I, I think that's healthy. I think as long as it's done with the with a spirit of levity and not a spirit of malice, that's, you know, like the whole competitive thing is just like, I'm too old for that, so... <laughs> But you, know, but you know, on that note, I mean, not see, I don't, I don't think about athleticism as competition, though that is obviously there, right? Mm -hmm. There is there that there is that there. We're all competitive, right? I mean, right, that's right. we all are. Come on, but you know, I actually got together with a really great guitar player, and he was, you know, I studied with him when I was younger, and it's kind of that situation where we became colleagues. I mean, a guy was just ridiculous chops. And we're like, what are you working on? And he's like, I'm working on my left hand, like, do, 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 <laughs> you know? And I'm like, and he's like, what are you working on? I'm like, my right hand, this, right? And, and it's like, even as long as all of us have been playing, it is a physical activity and it needs to be attended to, you totally. know? It needs to be attended to just like any yep. other, go, like you're saying, I got to go out and stretch and then, you know, you're going to get into your thing. Mm -hmm. that is a reality of the instrument it's a taskmaster master it's like mm -hmm. okay i'm here and you got to deal with me right so right I think that's the other thing is that chat the physical the physicality of it like keeping that up mm -hmm. you know, whatever there's that phrase like if i miss a day of practice you know you know whatever i notice or whatever and then you know if i miss three days of practice the audience starts to notice you know, or whatever, how that progression goes. It's like, you've got to keep up on the, on the instrument. It's a beat. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. And I think it's healthy. Uh, I, I think it's healthy to have them, that mentality uh, of, a, I'll call it swag. You know what I mean? It's the same thing you, the same feeling you get when you see, um, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, say a line, say Judon or somebody from the Patriots or something like, you know, you see him in the after game interview and they're like, yeah, you know, da, 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 da. but you see him out on the field and he's like, ah, you know, he's like tearing people apart. You know, I mean, it's, it's okay to have that, you know, yo, I'm, 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 I got my guitar in hand and I'm, I'm ready to come in and do some damage, you know? And, uh, in, in the words of Joe, you know, Joe Stump, I'm going to come, I'm ready to wreck the place, you know? Every now and then, I, I think it's okay, because because like you're right, Shell. There is some physicality in there, and you got to keep that up, and uh, and you know have that mentality of yeah, I'm I'm doing what I got to do, and keep it up, 
keep it moving. So, very true. Jim, thank you so much for spending an hour with us and uh, having coffee. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, do you have any um, final advice for the students who are listening about to go on break for the winter? Um, final advice. Maintain normalcy in your life uh, during the break. Uh, maintain normalcy uh, through the remainder or whatever happens wherever this pandemic goes. Maintain normalcy. Just do whatever you can to, um, if it's getting out and taking a walk every day, do that. If it's uh, doing yoga before you go to bed, do that. Whether you're at home, whether you're in your dorm room, um, keep keep the balance and, and, and do whatever you can to maintain some normalcy. And um, learn how to cook. Uh, learn how to play a sport. Um, uh, watch the Patriots. Uh, they're taking on, uh, who is it, the Titans, I think? Yeah, are. the Titans, 1 o'clock. Yeah, but yeah. And the Bears, they'll probably have won, so we can just predict that, Jim. Just predict it. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's, there's music all around us. Um, there's musical parallels all around us, and just be open to that. So, if, if I had more time, I could probably think of something a little bit more profound, but... <laughs> pretty good that's i think that's all good. i got right now so <laughs> after one cup of coffee that that's excellent that's excellent um thank you so much jim oh you're very welcome and uh thank you cheryl bailey for being here and thank you ian steed and we'll be with all of you on the next coffee talk